is Notorious P.O.D. The name's John Bass on this M.I.C. I brought a couple man alongside of me. I got Gary Roy Smith in the place to boot. We got murder stats and guests galore. You know we're talking real hip-hop folklore. And we're gonna cover all the goddamn classics. Notorious P.O.D. We're gonna smash it. Peace! Hello world and welcome to Notorious P.O.D. I am your host John Bass and this week we have a very special episode. We are going to dive into the industry, the game that is hip-hop and the interesting and sometimes shady world of uh, music entertainment and record labels etc etc. I'm joined by former Rock Nation A&R man and man of mystery Mr. Misha Lera. How are you? I'm doing well, John. Thanks so much for having me on. Man, no worries at all, brother. Thank you very much for sparing me the time. Thank you for reaching out. Um, it's one of the things that I think is really important about the kind of modern age that we live in, which is that, you know, people that are interested in subjects can kind of find a podcast that they like or they find a subject that they like and meet kind of like-minded people and reach out to each other and, and kind of connect. So thank you very much for reaching out. I really do appreciate it. Of course. My pleasure. So just to, um, just to give you a little bit of a, a kind of starting point and for our listeners as well, we always ask all of our guests to essentially give us um, like a couple of stock answers. And so the first one we always ask people is kind of um, their boxing entrance music. So if you're a boxer, what would, what would that be? And, and, and kind of what would you come into the ring listening to? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a five foot, eight and a half uh, inch lanky white man. So I'm not sure if I... Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I want to scare my opponent with, with something that's like an absolute banger or something that's, that's um, they're going to look at me and think that I'm crazy. So I, <laughs> so I was thinking there's, here comes the boom, not the one that you're probably thinking of, but here comes the boom by Nelly. That's, okay. that's always a good one. But like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm also thinking the circle of life from the Lion King. That yeah. sounds like a good one. Like, you know, this is, this is all the beginning of the end for you, my friend. Um, <laughs> I like it. Yeah. I just, I just want to say in baseball, we have like, when you go up to the, when batters go up to the plate, um, they can choose what song that the, 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 um, the people working in stadiums will play over the, the, uh, um, okay. over the speakers. And uh, there was this uh, pitcher called Mariano Rivera. He played for the New York Yankees. He had the hardest song that people that he would come up to. And it was "Enter Sandman" by Metallica, and I think nice. like that is one of the best songs that you could choose. Yeah, it's a strong, strong selection. I think I think I like your approach of maybe yeah, flipping it and doing like the Lion King thing. We had um, we had Callum on for the Fifty Cent. It's like, yeah, maybe you just do something to kind of unsettle your opponent and something that's a little bit outside the box. So yeah, that that also works. I think it's. It's one end or the other, isn't it? You either go extreme, like gritty and grimy and aggressive, or you just try and destabilize them with something a little bit kind of, yeah, outside the box. So that's all good. Um, the other question that we always ask our guests is, if you can only listen to one album for the rest of your life, what would it be? That's such a hard question. Such a hard question. Uh, I think, I mean, just mentioned 50 Cent. Get Rich or Die Trying is an absolute classic. Yeah. I think... I think, I think I'm gonna actually go with Kanye and go with graduation. I'm I'm sort of a Kanye apologist, as much as he's uh, been kind of um, in his own struggles lately. Mm. But uh, but I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go with graduation. I, I think that album, top to bottom, just hits on every angle. Yeah, it's a solid choice. I think I think the reason that like that that's a good choice is because and the reason some of the other albums people have picked um, are interesting is because I think what you get to the crux of is that you want an album that sort of encompasses a number of different emotions and feelings so that you're kind of getting that wide range of stuff. If you were to get an album that's just, just hard all the way through or just ballads, you're not really getting like a full 360 of kind of music's potential. And I think that album's quite a good, good choice in terms of it gives you, yeah, an array of different like styles and sounds and stuff. So yeah, mate, good, good choice. Happy with that. Um, so the the sort of reason that we um, that we started speaking is because you you messaged me and said, look, I know you do this hip hop podcast. Um, I used to work for Rock Nation, and I was like, wow, like you you've got my attention. Um, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this. So I want to go into detail about your career because it's been uh, amazing. You sent me some really good information about kind of what you've done and and how you've done it and and all the rest of it. But just maybe um, just give us a bit of an insight first of all in terms of kind of where you grew up. Uh, why you got into to music, you know, what's your kind of uh, music, musical tastes, 
uh, and then kind of give us a little bit of a lead in into kind of how you got involved in, in kind of starting as an intern at Rock Nation. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I, I grew up uh, in uh, a, a city that's about an hour and a half from Boston in New York, right in the middle called New Haven. Um, it's in a state called Connecticut. Um, my uh, both my, my dad is a, is an immigrant um, and uh, he had a Russian accent when he moved to the States. So the way that he got rid of his accent was to listen to just like all pop music at the time so okay. like in the seventies. In so he, he had all these amazing records that, um, that he would always play mostly, mostly like kind of jazz standards, but, um, but, but also uh, your, your, your classic like rock albums from that era. Um, and that made him learn English, but also like got rid of his, his, uh, his Russian accent. Um, in terms of me getting into music, following like following that, um, uh, just heavily influenced by kind of the culture around me. Yeah. Um, so like not growing up, you know, in a in a in a great neighborhood, um, but a diverse neighborhood, um, just really opened me up to to the musical world around me. Yeah. Um, and uh, I just just fell in love with hip hop and um didn't look back from there um when when i uh when i when i went to to college um people kind of looked at me to um as the person to push the envelope and kind of um introducing them to new music yeah. so i remember when i first went to college um Lupe was just blowing up and I was like, I'm not that cool. Like I, other people have got to know this stuff. And they were like, wow, this is incredible and amazing. So I was like, all right, cool. I'll be the person that you guys look towards. Um, and it kind of just, uh, it just kind of snowballed and I, I never looked back from there. The thing is basically everyone, uh, everyone should have a friend like you, Misha. I have a friend who listens to the show uh, called Colsey and uh, he was, he was my version of you. So like we, every time we'd catch up, he'd be like, oh, have you heard X, Y, and Z? Have you heard this album? Have you heard that mixtape? And I was like, no and it would always put me on with like what was new and what was kind of good to to hear so um yeah i think every every person should have a a friend who's that kind of like connection between what's going on um and you know what what people are gonna like so i think that's kind of an interesting uh, interesting insight um just so i know i haven't put this in the running order but um just so i can get a gauge for people i always like to kind of ask them like very quick uh kind of quick fire questions to get a view of your like hip-hop uh, I, I guess your views on hip hop, you know, like there's the kind of left wing and right wing of politics. Yeah. And you can, <laughs> you can ask certain questions to gauge like a view uh, on people's like opinions and stuff based on like very, very limited um, identifying subject matters. Um, so if I just ask you some quick fire questions, like you, you can pick between the two options and then we'll, we'll just give myself and the audience a bit of an idea of, of where your kind of hip hop allegiances lie. Yeah. Is that right? Sure. Shoot. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So let's start with a nice and simple one. East or West Coast? Uh, East Coast, easily. Uh, oh man, I'm, I'm from, from <laughs> just outside of New York, so it's easy. Yeah, the thing is, is I guess what's interesting, and I haven't really, I've never really considered it until now, is that most of the time when I ask those questions, it's to people in England. So we don't have like the natural allegiance of actually being from that place. It becomes like a, you pick because you have an allegiance based on your music identifying. Whereas I think, yeah, if you're actually living in the East Coast, then it's like, well, yeah, probably you're going to be a, a East Coast kind of kind of person. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so uh, I now now I've asked you that, I feel like I know the answer to this. Uh, Pac or Biggie? Oh, Biggie, for sure. I think, I think Pac was an incredible lyricist, but yeah. Biggie just made music that withstood time. And I think that that just speaks for itself. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I um, Doing this pod has made me appreciate uh, Puck a lot more. And I, I never really liked him because I'm very much East Coast centric. And I never really liked him. And I was always very much, like we all do in, in hip hop particularly, if, if you pick one guy, you have to be against the other guy. <laughs> but I kind of realized that actually, like just my love for Big doesn't mean that I can't respect Puck and think that he was amazing. So yeah, it's just interesting to, um, to kind of get people's views. Um, in terms of uh, hip hop, groups who is the greatest hip-hop group of all time the greatest hip-hop group of all time all right <laughs> this the, I'm, just, I'm just gonna go out and say it. i think i think the beastie boys oh um, wow okay are incredible i i but then i also think that run dmc just in terms yeah. of what they did for hip-hop who they became um and the personalities all around them 
Um, and I think the the two, the one person that those groups have in common is Rick Rubin. Rubin and I think, yeah. and I think Rick Rubin is just um, not not just a business person, but just like his his musical um, taste and the way that he is able to make music um, you, is just is just brilliant. Yeah, that's a really interesting point, actually. And, and I think what's amazing about Rick Rubin, particularly, is the fact that that. Um, that production element that he's brought, or, or certainly like a creative element to those groups, has, has maintained like even as, as kind of recent as like uh, off the top of my head, like Black Album, his involvement in that with Jay Z, um, it just kind of shows that he's like basically been involved in hip hop or involved in music anyway, production wise, for such a long time, and he's always managed to stay relevant, and an artist will always seek him out to work with him. So um, that's a really good point, actually. Um, and yeah, in regards to like Run DMC. And Beastie Boys, they definitely set the tone for kind of bringing uh, hip hop into kind of a mainstream culture and, and making making songs as opposed to just like just rhymes. Um, and I think that's a really interesting point, actually. So, yeah, that's, that's cool. OK, well, that, I think that gives us a little bit clearer of an indication now. So we know you're an East Coast guy. We know you're big year Park. I have the foundation. A little bit in your life. Uh, and get to the point where um, you ended up, uh, by, by the sounds of things, kind of by chance, becoming um, an intern at Rock Nation. So tell me a little bit about how that came about and how that all happened. Yeah, no, it totally was by chance. Um, so uh, I, when I was in uh, an undergraduate in college um, at university, uh, my, my roommates and I started up um, a, a video production company. We called it a transmedia creative agency, basically specializing in video production and design. Um, and uh, they, they were doing some good things, um, but uh, they didn't really have any business savvy. So uh, that's where I kind of like enlisted myself um, in, in with them and um, helped them get a contract with, uh, with Rock Nation. Um, I met their chief creative officer and um, we basically did all the videos um, for uh this this um now defunct um like lifestyle blog that jay jay-z used to have called life and times yeah um and uh it just kind of all it all went from there that's amazing so yeah so like you say it's, it's kind of interesting that like a lot of people their kind of dream career would be to like work for any record label or to be in something like that so for yourself like um being a hip-hop fan and then getting the opportunity to kind of uh to kind of work there ultimately did did it like even though it was by chance did it feel like oh my god this is absolutely amazing it was kind of like a dream come true or was it very much like a whirlwind thing where it kind of just happened you're suddenly thrown into the depths of this yeah it was it was something that i at first i felt like i was totally out of my depth um (laughs) i i just it was you you see you you hear about all these people they are all they are larger than life like musicians artists are people who like who just transcend um they transcend airwaves, but they transcend like people's minds all the time because they are part, they are making um, like culture. Um, and then when you like see that, wow, I'm actually, I'm working with them or like, wow, I see them five feet away from me acting like a normal human being. That is, it's, it's a, it's a weird, it's a weird sensation. Yeah, no, for sure. I bet. And what, so what was it like? Um, what was your, your kind of like job day to day? So for people that don't know, cause your, your role. So what was your actual role there? Like, essentially working it as an A&R. What does that actually mean for people? Like, Right. So I, so I started off um, doing management in A&R. So A&R is artistic and repertoire. It's basically, um, it's basically just making it. It's so the management part is, is exactly what you'd think. It's, it's booking shows, it's booking gigs. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of um, making um, an artist's business acumen, building up an artist's business acumen. Um, the A&R part is sort of, um, is getting them is getting the sounds right so it's getting them to collaborate with other artists or other producers um to get them so they get their their sounds like so sonically they they are hitting their audience um but also um but also getting what they're like what their investors and what their fans want yeah um my my day-to-day and in terms of the, the the management part um I think I think this is I think the the best part is to remember that music doesn't make artists that much money. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the management part um, is kind of building up uh, an artist um, 
uh, net worth and then just making them seen. Um, so like Jay-Z always says, I'm not a businessman. I'm a businessman because he literally, um, he has to, he, he has done so well in creating more for himself than just his music. And I think that's like the biggest part. It's sort of like he always had a business manager um, and a music manager, but he himself like did that to, to yeah. create his, his, who he is today. Yeah, that's, I think that's the interesting thing, especially, so this was around, what, 2010? Yeah, 2010, did this until, for, for about three years, three, three and a half years. So it's quite interesting because, you know, obviously in that sort of time, um, the kind of real uh, streaming services really started to change the game. Um, and in terms of kind of people looking to find ways to essentially create wealth and create money for artists, had definitely changed. And that, I guess your time there was kind of when that was really becoming into focus of, okay, shit, this is serious. We're going to have to start looking at alternative ways to, to do things. Um, so I guess, yeah, it was, it's kind of an interesting time that you're constantly looking at ways to, to, to kind of create um, money for people. And I guess this was maybe a little bit before the kind of advent of um, kind of Instagram and content creators being kind of influencers and stuff like that so did you kind of see the kind of beginnings of that and how that worked out and yeah absolutely so um so when i mentioned that so to answer your second part of the question is about about the social media and stuff this is like Mm. at the advent um of kind of instagram um and 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 also like the coming together of just making somebody's brand stronger. Um, one, one artist that I, that I used to work with is, uh, is a DJ called um, uh, Harley Vieira Newton. Uh, and she is a, like, so she DJs, she does incredible shows, mostly does it at like, um, at like daytime New York city gigs on a yeah. rooftop nice. where like mimosas are, um, <laughs> are unlimited. Um, but, um, but so what we had the idea was we, we partnered with, um, we got her a gig at Coachella um, and you know how Coachella has like a big, um, this is like a cultural thing that yeah. goes around with it. So like what you wear, um, what you eat. So part of the deal of her getting, um, uh, of her playing Coachella was um, her posting on Instagram, which, which you alluded to was like pretty new at the time. Um, and she had to give a daily like, kind of breakdown of what she was wearing, the food she's eating there, um, her, her workout and yoga routines in the morning. Um, and, and she would, this was kind of like the first time that like you kind of see this like influencer lifestyle mm-hmm. um, transcending music into, into like just kind of like a, a, a 24-7 look at how somebody is. And, and, and now she, she does really well. She has like a, 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 a clothing brand that she's, sells at like Saks Fifth Ave or Harrods. I don't really know. Um, but, 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 but it made her, but it made her rich and it kind of trained, it kind of made that net worth go up. Um, to answer the first part of your question about how, like the, so about how that the changing, um, of, of, of music. Um, uh, so I would say that this was at the very beginning of what we call now like the SoundCloud era. At yeah. the time, we didn't know that. Um, but this was music was picking up pace. And by picking up pace, it was just that um, more and more music was more, was readily accessible um, to more of the population. So radio just kind of slowed things down. Um, and the, this like SoundCloud era uh, and, and the rap blogosphere really just kind of made all this music come out. So we really had to, so the A&R part of my job was just kind of always monitoring that and seeing what, um, seeing like what artists were out there that we could collaborate with, seeing what producers were out there that we could collaborate with. Um, and, and this also coincided with the time, in the time when uh, producers were also becoming more of a, um, they were just more of a, of a background person and producers were, were coming up with these personalities that were larger than life um, at, at, at the same time. So, uh, so, so that was just an interesting, yeah. um, an interesting world to live in. For sure. Cause that's one thing I always think is interesting. We hear a lot about like, you know, artists, um, you know, in let's say 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, a lot of their wealth was 
done due to physical sales because obviously the, the cost for a record or the cost for a CD, um, it's a small percentage in that. Obviously, the line share goes to record labels, but the artists make in a lot. And then obviously, they go on tour and, and make that money that way. But you're talking about a, um, a smaller group of people that ever get to the point where they are uh, introduced or found by record labels because to actually do that takes time and investment on behalf of the labels to send A&Rs to gigs, to shows. And we now live in a world where, you know, a, a genius can be born and in 15 years he grows up and he's got every element of technology at his fingertips. He can create a masterpiece in his bedroom, email it or upload it to any number of sites, social sites, create a buzz on his own, um, create almost like a fan base of his own. Uh, and all, you know, not not all, but essentially A&Rs can sit and look through SoundCloud. They can sit and look through Spotify. They can sit and look through all these um, sites and apps and find like amazing talent with very like limited um, outgoing. So I think it's really, it's kind of really interesting how it's changed because I used to see it as like, well, it's, it must be really hard for the artist, but actually they've got more of a chance now of getting signed or getting to a point where they've got a deal. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I hear a lot about, and it's, it's kind of talked about a lot in, in hip hop, is that, and I, w- I want to get your take on this, is that a lot of artists now um, get stick that they become very successful, but they don't make a lot of money because they've signed themselves to a 360 deal. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to maybe just kind of explain to people that, because I heard that all the time and I was like, I don't actually know what that is. People just go, oh, you don't want to get into a 360 deal. Um, how, how does that work? And what, is, what are these sort of impacts potentially on artists for, for that type of thing? So a 360 deal is basically an exclusive contract um, between the artist and the record company um, that, that all, so all the money from the sales of the records, um, the income streams from, from, from Spotify, uh, iTunes, or from, from Apple Music, et cetera, from, from live performances to, um, to merch, um, that, that all goes to the record label and, 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 you know, some of it you can, I mean, some, some artists see a little bit of that money, but it's, it's being owned by, it's being owned by the, the companies. Um, and I, I think an interesting, um, an interesting story, um, just to, to, to keep your, to keep your, to keep, to keep your, um, thumb on, um, recently mm. is, is this, is this Taylor versus Taylor Swift versus Scooter Braun thing where, um, where, where Taylor Swift didn't own her masters, um, this record label that she was signed to um, in, in Nashville did. And um, Scooter Braun ended up buying this, this record label. And, um, you know, it's making, a lot of, it's making a lot of noise because apparently Taylor Swift has had some bad relationships with, with Scooter Braun and Justin Bieber. But, but basically now somebody who she doesn't like um, owns her masters, owns mm. her pieces of art of work and it's because of these these 360 deals mm. it's mad isn't it it's just it's so interesting how and this is the one of the things that I, I kind of want to um to kind of keep as a theme for for what we're talking about today which is that for young artists if you listen to this podcast um and you're kind of interested in learning more about kind of you know history in terms of like how you know kind of hip-hop artists got to where they've got to and how they've done what they've done um, I think that's really interesting. And I think what's really good about today is, is, you know, having someone like yourself who's worked on the other side of that and been on the label side and understood kind of how they, um, you know, how their business operates, basically. And I think for young artists, it's really worth kind of noting that, you know, anything that you're signing in terms of a deal, it sounds like amazing. Like when I was younger, everyone was like, oh, you've got to get signed to a deal. That's the way to become successful. Like so-and-so's got a deal. This artist has got a deal. And it was amazing. And it can be amazing. I'm not, um, you know, discouraging people from trying to get signed to major labels, um, but just legal advice um, about what you're signing because these cases are quite frequent, aren't they? You hear quite a lot about artists don't own their masters, artists don't um, own the rights to their own uh, image. And yeah, 360 deals, my understanding of of it is exactly what you said there which is that you know back in the day if you signed a deal to universal for argument's sake and you signed your music deal if you then wanted to get an endorsement by nike that was up to you and your management now a 360 deal would would take a cut of your endorsement to nike based on your image not on your music exactly um so i think that that's what you know young artists today need to be very wary of what they're signing 
and particularly we live in an era now where it's like independent artists are doing really well like um chance the rapper and people like that have, have found a way to do that so it's, it's interesting isn't it in terms of how you know the independent market has also grown as a result of kind of technology and and that sort of things yeah absolutely i mean i'm not a big fan of macklemore's music but i'm a fan of his business acumen he it was able to grow himself into something yeah. just larger than life um from from the basement of his parents' house to now being being one of the most like recognized artists around the world, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Like for somebody who just kind of makes not great music, <laughs> um, but just it's, it's just maintaining that independence. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. So just uh, more on a positive note, um, what was what was some of the coolest stuff that you that you kind of were involved in in your time at Rock Nation? Because um, you mentioned before that you did. Um, some of the stuff that the um, like video production company did was working with like Freddie Gibbs, Currency and people like that. So um, I guess that was kind of interesting, particularly as like Freddie Gibbs at the moment is kind of everywhere because um, of this new album. Um, how was it kind of working with people like that? And, and what was the, the kind of most exciting stuff that you, you, you kind of did during your time there? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I haven't listened to, to Freddie's new album, but um, but I've heard, but I've read some read some articles about it and I, you know, after this, John, I'm going to go listen to that because I feel like I'm I, <laughs> yeah. not doing it justice. But I was trying to figure out what music video we worked on for Freddie Gibbs. And it was, it was called Do No Wrong or Do Wrong Part Two. Okay. So that was cool. Go out, watch that. But um, but yeah, working around Rock Nation was was cool. Like Jay-Z would he actually worked there nine to five. Like that was oh, wow. actually his business. He would walk around the office bouncing a basketball talking you know just like looking over people's shoulders at their computer screens making sure they were working um it was it was weird having him as a boss but 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 um but that was cool we we did a we did a video i think then i I think this was one of the coolest things um there it was called um and this was in collaborate and i think it was cool too because it was in collaboration of the video production company called team engine um and rock nation and um jay-z uh at the time had just bought stake into an nba franchise um the new jersey nets um who now if you're an nba fan you know that they're the brooklyn nets Nets, and um they're in part of jay-z becoming a minority owner um in the nets was to move the the franchise from new jersey to brooklyn um and he also opened up um and in doing so he opened up a um uh, the, the the basketball arena um or multi-purpose arena where they play called the Barclays Center. Um, okay. and, he, and he opened up the Barclays Center to the public by doing seven consecutive nights of, um, of basically his greatest hits. So it was just Jay-Z, seven nights, the opening of the Barclays Center. And we did a documentary called Where I'm From. Um, I, if you haven't watched it, it's, it's only about a half an hour. Um, it's, it's just, it's so good. Um, and I'm not just saying that cause I worked on it. It, it, <laughs> it doesn't, you don't, you don't see the performances of him that much because his music speaks for himself. Sure. Um, but we captured the behind the scenes footage of the opening. So his creative process for, for how he wants this whole production to look like how he like goes into it. Um, and just kind of in how he wants himself to be seen as being accessible in one part of this documentary is that he uh we we, we took we took the the metro the, the subway from um his office in rock nation to brooklyn um he sits down on the train next to this kind of older um woman called ellen ellen had no idea who he was she's like oh i'm in she was like hey, jay-z's like hey like what do you do ellen's like oh, i'm an artist and um and he goes oh me too and they just have a chat back and forth and then she goes what's your name and he goes jay-z and she goes oh jay-z i've heard of jay-z and like that's it <laughs> but it's just it's incredible because like we captured this moment it's in this documentary now that's on that lives on youtube and uh and it just but it just kind of shows that that you can that if you if you keep pushing then you have the ability to become something and anything um if you put that strength into into what you want and i feel like this documentary really captured that um that's that's probably one of the cooler things that, that yeah done. that's pretty that's pretty cool and i think i think you're right in terms of like i think one of the most um whether whether you like jay-z or not whether you think he's the best or not what i think is really inspiring about him is is the fact that yeah he had this single-mindedness to to achieve um, and I think that, yeah, his, um, his kind of work ethic and like you've said a few times, like business acumen, <laughs> and just kind of knowledge is, is kind of what made is what 
that's made him into what he's become today. But um, I guess that it must be the most surreal thing ever when you're just working away in the office and then uh, Jigger just walks past and you're like, oh, that's that's the big guy himself. Like, was it just like surreal for the first few times that you saw him in the office? Like, holy shit, that's JC. Yeah, I, I became I became numb to it. But I'll tell you yeah. that I, I met Beyonce twice. The first time I ever oh, met shit. her. I, my, my voice cracked. She just, she <laughs> says something to me and I just go, I say hello. And it, it was like, it was like I was 12 years old all over again. <laughs> just, it was, it was probably, that was probably the most embarrassing moment that, that I don't think I would get used to. I'm not even a huge Beyonce fan. Yeah. But she is like next level stunning and one of the greatest artists of all time. So it's, it's easy to, it's easy to be caught out. I don't think anyone would, um, would blame you for, for feeling that way. Right. Um, for sure. But yeah, I just, I just think it's an amazing, um, an amazing thing. And like for, for kind of if I put myself in your shoes at that time like being a young man loving hip-hop and then get an opportunity to work there like you say kind of been like a whirlwind thing it happened quite quickly and then you, you click and then Jay-Z's your boss and Beyonce saying hello to you like that must just been absolutely crazy um what what advice would you give to kind of you know put yourself back in those shoes as a young man and like looking back on kind of what you were doing then and at the time what would you kind of um, give as advice to kind of people that are starting out in a label or that are looking to start out working in, in that industry? Like what advice would you give them? So I think, I mean, having a love for music is one thing. I think if you want to work in that, in that area, you have to have a love for music. So don't let, don't ever let that, don't ever let that go. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think you have, I think having a, a diverse background either academically or just like from a business acumen standpoint um, is super important. I think that, that you can't just, you can't just be like, I'll grind so hard. And that's great. Everybody's going to grind hard. But I think that um, you, you knowing a little bit, not just how music industry works, but just how like basic um, just b like business acumen is um, more generally, I think is, is going to take you really far just from, I don't know if it's from, from marketing or um, from economics statistics um that stuff can can really take you far along with with the love for the music that 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 you have yeah for sure okay um well the the next thing that i want to go into is is kind of like again fast forwarding a little bit in time and you mentioned to me that kind of after working in the kind of a and r side and the management side you basically had an opportunity to kind of um become like a personal assistant to kind of a, a very prominent u.s artist um so I, I wanted to kind of ask you a little bit about again how did that come about and and kind of what it was like um and, and why you decided to take that move yeah so so working in rock nation i think they they saw they saw how i was and they saw that i was a good good fit for the company um and they off basically the the one of the managers um for uh who who was um a, the vp of like of management um he was like hey i got this like I have a business, I have an opportunity for one of the artists that I, that I manage. Um, and, uh, he was, and it was, it, it was all from there. Um, so I began this, um, when I was actually still in, in school. Um, I, uh, I, I was, I went to school in New York city and, um, that where rock nation was based out of. Yeah. Um, and I would literally fly out on Thursday nights when my, when my classes were done fly back into New York either late Monday night, early Tuesday morning, go to school and then um, just do it all again. And then the, 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 the day I graduated, the day after I graduated, um, I moved to Atlanta with that to move in with this artist um, in Atlanta and just it kind of was a whirlwind from there. Yeah, which is crazy. Just just to explain for our listeners, we can't we can't name the artist um, for legal reasons because you've signed an NDA. So we're not being like you know. Sometimes on podcasts they like tease it out, and at the end they're like, and it turned out to be blah blah. blah. Um, we're not we're not being like super secretive for no reason. There is um, yeah legal stuff in place, so um, we'll do our best to describe without giving anything too um, too obvious away. But so what was it? What was it kind of like? Because I think a lot of people kind of uh, have their own like perception of like okay, so you're with an artist. And you're traveling around and it must be all like first class flights and limousines and it's all fun and games. But I imagine like there's there are those things, um, but I imagine it's, it's kind of like day to day. It's probably different to what people expect. So what, what was it kind of like for you? Yeah, day to day, it was it. it they the artist sees that we don't see that working behind the scene. Yeah. So 
I, I was, I, li- I lived with him. I worked with him. I traveled with him literally 24 seven. I had a, a, my bedroom was in his house. Mind you, it was a nice house. We were comfortable, <laughs> um, yeah. but, but it, but it, but it was still, but it was still something that like, it was, it was still a grind. Like I had to wake up before him. I had to have a freshly rolled blunt for him in the morning. Um, <laughs> I had to make sure that his parents and his girlfriend were, were happy with the money that he was sending them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just hire somebody to come and cook for us like it 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 was it wasn't all it wasn't all perfect it wasn't all golden but it was but it was nice but but it was definitely just a grind and a consistent grind yeah and you were kind of like uh, at that point living a little bit of the kind of like uh hip-hop lifestyle in the sense of that they gave you like a really nice car didn't they to kind of drive around and and do the, the chores and stuff yeah yeah they gave me a they gave me this chevy camaro i was just like totally blacked out um the interior had like had like this like um this like red kind of like sh- the this, this strips of red that were just like really tasteful i i didn't really fit me because as i mentioned at the top of the show I'm, I'm kind of this like small lanky white boy and we <laughs> lived though we lived in a really nice house we lived in a predominantly black neighborhood so when i rolled up to uh, go to starbucks or something like that it they kind of turned heads and People were kind of like, well, what is he doing here? Luckily, it took a little bit of time for them to realize, like, he actually lives here, which is, like, totally fine. And I deserve yeah. that because um, it goes the other way around in other parts of, of, of the States. Of the for sure, yeah. So a little, but, bit, um, but, a little yeah. bit of a taste of that, yeah, for sure. Yeah, but, yeah, no, totally. They, they, they definitely – he definitely, like, gave me a taste of the, of the, of the lifestyle there um, by giving me this car and, and other, other stories that I'm happy to talk about, too. Yeah, because you, you mentioned uh, one of the things I thought was really interesting is like, and again, like I said, uh, you kind of think about, you know, working with an artist, like kind of uh, tours, um, place kind of behind the scenes and um, some interesting locations for, for business to be done. So like, tell me a little bit about um, some of the issues or some of the places that you would uh, do business during your time. Yeah, so we were based in Atlanta. Um, at, at the time, Atlanta was was becoming the epicenter of hip hop. I think it. I think it actually was at the time. Um, but um, but uh, uh, I mentioned before that radio moves slow in yeah. Atlanta and in around the country. Each major city has like three or four major hip hop stations. Um, but that that just can't keep up with the amount of music that is being that is being that that is just out there in the world ready to be consumed um so when it comes to when it comes to like the a and r side of things um one you you can you can test how a a song will do based on algorithms um you can test it by like by by math and um if if this many people listen to music like this they're gonna get this in their in their spotify um like weekly um curated playlists um, but but in Atlanta, it, it's it's a little different. Um, one way to to actually spread music and to test how a song will do is at strip clubs. So strip clubs <laughs> were the best place to go out and and basically politic a new song, um, and and for meet with and for people to go, um, for for artists to go meet with meet with other people in the business. So the way that one 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 example of this is that. An artist records a new song, they want to test it out. They they you know probably pay they pay a little bit of money to the DJ to the manager of the strip club. They throw it over the speakers, and they see that if the girls if the girls shake their asses and make tons of money, then they know that that song is going to do well because not only do the <laughs> girls like it, but yeah. the men but the men are feeding off of that. Yeah. Um, and the men. Or in 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 so then everybody is like, damn, this that's a hit, that's a banger. We need to now we need to now push this song, and that 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 still happens today. Man, I love that. The thing is, what what really resonates with me about this story is that um, I kind of I love this idea, like you said a few times, like this skinny white boy from New Haven just in a strip club in Atlanta, like um, passing off. Uh, new tracks, unreleased DJs, and then watching like the the dollars just roll in over uh, a big group of strippers. 
Um, I just love the, the juxtaposition of like kind of how you grew up and where you grew up to the life that you were in at that time. And how, how old were you, would you have been at this time? So when I first when I first started working for him, I was 20 years old, which in the <laughs> in the States, that's not even the legal drinking yeah. age. Um, so when I when I when I went to clubs with him, I stuck out like a sore thumb <laughs> physically, but also because I was pretty nervous. Like I didn't I didn't want to break the law. Um, and, uh, and and he, he didn't have really have an entourage, but but he had. A, a pretty large bodyguard who was always with him um and if you've ever seen the movie white boy rick um about about this like kind of drug dealer from detroit yeah. um you'll remember that he goes to las vegas and he's the only white guy in a sea of wealthy black partiers and that yeah. that was me that was me in atlanta <laughs> amazing so what other um because i mean one of the things i find interesting is, is you mentioned to me that you've been kind of quite close with um the creative process uh, during your time and, and kind of came across other artists that were either just blowing up or um, were on the kind of brink of blowing up. And, and that must have been quite exciting as well, you know, being kind of close to the creative process. How, how was that? Yeah, no, that was great. As I mentioned, I think Atlanta was, was the epicenter of hip hop. It, it, yeah. it went away from the coast. It, it moved down from Chicago and it went to Atlanta. And I think, and I think you kind of hear that sonically from like all music, maybe like 2008 and later, in my opinion, this, this, can, this is a whole nother discussion, but in my opinion, all music nowadays stems from um, a branch of hip hop from either Kanye, Wayne, or Drake. Yeah. And, and, and I think like Atlanta be the epicenter of hip hop was kind of like that. So, the, so at the time when artists were, were blowing up, they would, tend to either if they weren't from atlanta they would move to atlanta um which like it, it it was basically the capital of 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 the south at the time um think about all the artists that came actually came from there and set the stage for that t-i-g-z ludicrous Lil john of course outcast um and now now up-and-coming artists are moving there testing out their sounds there um working with producers who just like really nailed down that um nailed down that that sound um when i when i was when i was a pa we um french montana was also blowing up this was right before he blew up so he always used to just come to the studio we would kick it he and he and the guy the, my boss that i worked for um would just uh, would would test out some um, sounds they ended up doing a bunch of songs together um and, and yeah and i think i think we we also we also, I'm trying to remember, I think Young Thug, um, Rich Homie Kwan, it was this, I forgot, I don't think he's been made, I don't think he's made music in a while, but this guy, Mackinan, I forgot what, but he did the song, It's Going Up on a Tuesday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was like, we, we met him even before he recorded that song, and that was wild. And, and it's also, it also, just again, like, um, hits this hits this uh this point that producers at the time uh, producers now but but at the time are also becoming um personalities themselves and creating this creating these this 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 ego um that's larger than life that you didn't really see since for a while really mm. i mean like dr dre rapped but he was also a producer but now you just have producers like in the vein of dj khaled like yeah. you have like from Atlanta, like or like from the South, so you had like Metro Boom and Sunny Digital, who like who helped create the sounds of like Travis Scott, Migos. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Yeah. it's really interesting because look, there have been those like uh, the first person that popped into my head was kind of like a Timberland, who's like he's just a producer. Mm. Would do like maybe ad libs or like a little verse, but mainly was a producer. But outside of him, most of the producers that were became like kind of a celebrity in their own right for being a producer I, I can't really think of many um that that kind of cross over in that way um so yeah so it's kind of interesting that you've that you brought that up for sure um, yeah now, now now that i'm thinking about it all right people are going to be like swizz beats yeah yeah definitely definitely remember that man and that's new york born and bred right there so i've just got to give him a shout out right there yeah for sure i mean there, there are i mean if we sat here and like thought about it we could definitely do it but i take your take your point that um it's definitely again i think the reason for that is is the kind of um internet and and basically kind of the spread of you know it's it's easier to find who people are and put yourself out there 
Whereas before, like to kind of find out who produced a record, you'd have to go digging through um, the little kind of paper pamphlet and say, oh, this was produced by X or this was produced by Z. Like, that's really interesting. Um, but it's, it's kind of changed in that way, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I think, and I think, I think a, a cool part of being in Atlanta during this time is that now and even then, um, you would, music was made um, kind of impersonally. So producers and artists would send verses and beats um, back and forth over email. But, but when you're in the capital, in the epicenter of it all, it's very easy for, for people to come together and just say, hey, I'm over at Zach's studio over here in, in this part of Atlanta. Let me just go over, let me pop over here um, to, to North Atlanta. We can just do this song together in a couple hours, bang it out, and, and that's a hit. Yeah. And, that's, and, that, and I think being in that was really cool. Yeah, I imagine that's probably the, the closest thing that you could probably get to that was you know, similar in a way to um, what it must have been like to be in New York in the kind of mid-90s, like just being up in D&D and premieres there, like, and I've got these new instrumentals, who wants to jump on these and, and being part of that? So that, that must have been pretty cool. And um, yeah, that's one of the reasons why I really I wanted to talk to you because I just find it amazing to kind of be so close to, to do it in that way. So so tell us now uh, very, very quickly, um, you, you've, left, you've left music and I think for most people that um, would have listened to the last kind of uh, 45 minutes or so we've been talking, kind of imagine that you'd carried on that career but you, you've kind of done a bit of a uh, left turn uh, change your change your um your work in life so w- very quickly what is it that you do now yeah no it's weird so uh so now i work um i work for a member of congress um <laughs> in, in, in the in the in the senate um and it it there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of parallels between politics and the music business and, mm. and really it's it's all just relationship building coalition building um and it's and it's and it's setting uh it's setting like the agenda um of an artist or of the of the politician um that that you would do and this is kind of it just kind of just speaks back to what i was saying before um just and if you want to get into the music business it's just kind of having like a a a diverse background but also just like a a background of more than just the music just kind of um having like having a a a, a a background that you know that you can be tactful yeah. and that you can um that that you can actually creatively um but also uh like academically approach um an issue um in a certain way and i think that that's helped me now i miss working in in music um but uh but but but, but the where i am now is i i wouldn't change it either for sure and i guess now uh, in the mornings it's a strong coffee rather than rolling a blunt yeah Oh yeah, exactly. It, it's, 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 I, yeah. Everything from, from what I, what I drink, my, my hours, I have to wear a suit and tie to work, yeah. um, feel weird, but, but yeah, it's fine. Good stuff. And do you ever, do you ever miss it? Like, do you ever been miss being involved in the game, particularly if you're a fan of, of the music, like, and you were so close to it, does, does it ever come a time when you go, I love my job now, but I do miss this aspect or that aspect of, of my old life. I can, I completely miss it. Um, I do love it now, but I, but I, I have found kind of ways that I can, that I can kind of mix the two together. Um, and so I'll just real quick. And I know that you're, I know that this, this podcast is, is talking about the, the universal music mm-hmm. um, group fire as well, that kind of burned all the music, or not all that burned um, a ton of, of masters yeah. um, of artist compositions. Um, but that, uh, because I work, because I work in Congress, um, and part of part of the United States Congress um, jurisdiction is uh, is the Library of Congress. The Library of Congress um, holds onto a digital copy of every single song um, that was uh, that was made. Um, I think from like the night some sometime in the nineteen teens. Wow. Um, okay. And I think one of the, one of the things that the that the that the debate around the fire um at universal is going into um is kind of how we can preserve the history better and i think part of that is going to be something is going to be an action taken by congress um more than than just the the music um the the digital and the physical music that it already holds um and i think that that's a way that um i'm trying to insert myself in and kind of make the two worlds come together which is great because i think that's it's a really important thing that you know, part of politics is about upholding culture 
and uh, the musical history of, of America is, is fascinating. Um, it kind of uh, ties in so closely with, um, you know, social and economic issues, uh, racial issues, racial tensions, uh, wars, like politics, everything uh, can kind of be uh, driven and aligned with, with music and, and the culture as a result of that music. So I think it's a really interesting thing. So it'd be good to see how that goes forward. And, and like you say, we are going to talk about um, about that fire and the impact of that. DJ Ricky Rick, uh, after this, we'll, we'll go into a bit of detail about the, the background history of that. Because um, obviously we're talking about kind of the overall arching views of kind of what it's like to be in and, and work in the music industry. So just the last question for you. Um, what what advice would you have for young artists in terms of the best way to kind of manage um, the music industry and navigate the music industry? Yeah, absolutely. I would say Prince said it best. He said, "Own your masters, or your masters own you." And I think that's really true. Hold on to hold on to your your craft. Mm. Um, like you know, uh, 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 I think in terms of any other uh, any other creative process making. Um, or, or, or art, like uh, physical art, you basically own a painting that you make. But in the music business, it can be completely different and that can change with, with the signing of a bad deal. So I think really just like honing in on your, ma- on your, on your, on your craft, um, but making it your own, making your own, trying to find your own kind of like uh, your kind of road where you'll, that's, that's you. Um, and develop yourself and then you can start branching out um but just just focus on i would say focus on yourself don't but but also you know be open to collaborations i think when people sign artists they sign the artist's fan base yeah so i think you can't just make a song and expect to be signed i think you also need to have some patience and um and and kind of build up your career most of these artists have a little bit of a career already before they get signed um yeah it's true it, while you're independent so just yeah. yeah focus good words of advice good words of advice appreciate that um what i would love to do is for you to come back on and actually do an episode with us um so if you were to come on obviously we just pick one album uh, one classic hip-hop album from uh, the 80s 90s or noughties and we dissect it into bits and pieces so if you could pick that album what, what would you what would be your choice that you'd love to come in and talk about yeah i know i i'm I think I'd probably want to do a Kanye album just for, yeah. because I feel like he's so, he is, he, Kanye, as you can love him or hate him, I think he is like the zeitgeist um, of this, of, of the last decade and of the next decade. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that he is going to somehow be there. I'd love to do a Kanye album. I'd love to do a Jay album. Um, I think, I think your, your Get Rich or Die Trying um, uh, episode was brilliant. My favorite, my favorite song off of that was "Many Men," which yeah. I don't even know if you guys mentioned that, but, um, but yeah, a Kanye or a Jay album. Okay, uh, cool for sure. Well, I'm going to hold you to that because we definitely have you on. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, and, and thanks so much for, like I said, for getting in touch. It's what it's all about. Um, I say it many times, and I really believe it. Like hip hop is definitely a culture, not just a genre, um, and I think it's it's part of kind of um, what hip hop's about, which is kind of like working together and collaborating with people. So thank you um, so much for sparing me the time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on, John. Uh, no worries. We'll speak very soon. We'll have you back on to, to do a Kanye album. Uh- this is Notorious P.O.D. The name's John Bass on this M.I.C. I brought a couple man alongside of me. I got Gary Roy Smith in the place to boot. We got murder stats and guests galore. You know we're talking real hip-hop folklore. And we're going to cover all the goddamn classics. Notorious P.O.D. We're going to smash it. Peace!